joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. I don't have to tell you this. There's just a week to go before Christmas, and you, like me, might be scrambling to finish your last-minute shopping. I mean, you can do a lot of it online, but there's a lot to be said for walking the aisles or strolling through a local store, whatever it is, though. As you get ready to celebrate Christmas with your family and friends, it's really good to reflect on the reason why we celebrate. I'm John Fuller, joined again by my friends and colleagues here at Focus. We've got Lisa Anderson, Diane Angolia, and Paul Batura in the studio, and I'll just toss it out there to you three. Um, what do you think about the reasons we celebrate Christmas? You know, John, I think of it as like the world's greatest birthday party, the world's biggest birthday party. I heard a great story about it. There was a well-known New York pastor on Fifth Avenue in New York City a couple days before Christmas. He was with Fulton Ausler, who used to be the editor of Reader's Digest. He was with someone else. And it was jam-packed, traffic everywhere. And Ausler turned to the pastor and he said, isn't it something that a little baby born 2,000 years ago, over 5,000 miles from this spot, is causing a traffic jam hmm. in the middle of Manhattan because wow. they were all out Christmas shopping. Yeah. And he said, he has changed civilization. And the other gentleman said, he didn't just change civilization. He changed me. Uh, wow, that's a great illustration, Paul. And thanks for joining us today for Christmas Stories. We're done. No, uh, seriously, what do you think, Diane? What, uh, what about the reasons for the season? Um, I think that celebrating Christmas, we are forgetful people. And when you look back, even in the Old Testament, God was always saying, remember, remember, set this up, remember, set this up, remember. And I think that is those holy days God sets up so that we do remember. Mm. Otherwise, it just passes right by us. So Christmas and Easter and all those things that stop, pause, remember what it is that he has done, what he has called us to be, uh, a light in the world, um, that message of hope. That's good. I I hadn't thought about it, but I mean, there's not a word in the scripture about celebrate the birth of Jesus Mm -hmm. or celebrate his resurrection. But here we are Mm -hmm. 2,000 years later still doing that. And teaching our children Mm -hmm. generation after generation. Yeah. Lisa? I kind of think of it as the the first half of two holidays. Like you think of those 400 plus dark years between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the fact that, you know, probably some people in that were quite hopeless. But here we have the advent of a Savior who would once and for all Um, bring a covenant of hope and redemption, and it perfected all the covenants prior to it. And so we concentrate on tinsel and shopping and all that's going on, but really it's an anticipatory time, um, Advent again, with the very real reality of our need and our brokenness, which then, fast forward to Easter, is met in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And it is like literally, it is finished, Mm -hmm. it is done, everything is paid for, everything is now future forward, and I just think that's super encouraging. Yeah, yeah. I tend to think of Christmas as the on-ramp to the Easter Mm -hmm. story and the the truth that Jesus came, yes, as a baby, but then he died as a man to save us. Um, That whole package is wrapped up in this season as well, of course. Let's go ahead and turn now to a really powerful talk from evangelist J. John. Uh, He's from the UK and has some really uh, wonderful reasons about why we celebrate Christmas He also tosses in some great humor as well. Good evening. 
isn't the Christmas season a great season of the year? I love Christmas. Some of the things that we say, some of the things that we do, just, oh, just, I just so enjoy it. Did you know that a man goes through three stages in his life? Stage one, he believes in Santa Claus. Stage two, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus. Stage three, he is Santa Claus. <laughs> it is such a fun season. And during this season, obviously different people have different expectations and different perspectives. There was a little boy who wanted a bicycle for his birthday. So he got down on his knees, he prayed for a bike, his birthday arrived, no bike. But then he thought, ah, but Christmas is only a couple of weeks away, I'll have a second chance. Got down on his knees, began to pray for a bike for Christmas. And then he thought, no, I'll pray for a bike for my birthday and I didn't get one. So he got up and he started to walk around the house and then he saw a statue of Mary. And then he had an idea, took the statue down, wrapped it in a blanket, put it in a drawer and said, Jesus, if you want to see your mum again, get me a bike. <laughs> Well, I don't know whether your expectations are in the realm of the miraculous. One of the things I really enjoy about the season of Christmas are infant school nativity plays. I've got three sons, and over the years I've been to many nativity plays, and, and they're great. There was one infant school where the highlight of the year was the annual Christmas production. And there was one little boy who was desperate to play the part of Joseph. The day arrived when the teacher announced all the roles, but this little boy was not chosen to play Joseph. But he was chosen to play the innkeeper. But he didn't want to be the innkeeper. He wanted to be Joseph. The day arrived when the school presented their annual Christmas production to the entire school, all the families, relatives, friends. Then you get to that point where Mary and Joseph arrive at the innkeeper's door, knock on the door. Door opens, innkeeper comes out. Joseph says, can my wife Mary and I, can we come in for the evening? And the innkeeper said, she can come in, but you can't. <laughs> I wanted to be Joseph. <laughs> there are many different versions of Christmas. And because there are so many different versions of Christmas, it's really good just to take some time out and stop and say, let's go back to the original script. What did the original script actually say? The only true historical reason for celebrating Christmas is as the birthday of Jesus Christ. But nobody celebrates the birthday of a dead person. You only celebrate the birthday of someone who is alive. 
It is because Christians believe and know that Jesus Christ is alive that there can be a true celebration of his birthday. When we go back to the original script, we learn that there were a group of people known as the wise men. Have you ever wondered what would have happened had they been wise women? <laughs> I'll tell you. If they were wise women, they would have asked for directions and arrived there on time. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but the wise men actually arrived quite late. When the wise women arrived, they would have brought a casserole. They would have cleaned out the stable, they would have helped with the delivery, and they would have brought far more practical presents. But the original script says they were wise men. Now, that's got nothing to do with academia. It's not about intelligence. It's about understanding. They understood. And when they arrived to where Christ was, they bowed down, worshipped him, and gave him gifts. There was one infant school, Christmas production, and the wise men came on. And the first wise man walks on, he says, here's some gold. And off he walked. And the second kid comes along, he says, here's some myrrh. And off he went. And then the third kid came along and he forgot his one line. Now, if you've ever been in this situation as a parent, it is so painful. It is, it's like you're wooing them to remember their line. And like, oh, it's so painful. And everyone's kind of, come on, come on, come on. And then eventually the kid remembered it. <gasps> Frank sent this. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Now, why would you give, why would you give a child those gifts? Well, it's symbolism. And behind the symbolism are profound truths, hence the fact that this group of people are called wise. Gold in the Bible is a symbol of kingship. They had understood that Christ was the king. Not just a king, but the king. And in the words of the original script, the king of kings, the lord of lords. In other words, the king of the entire universe, the entire cosmos. By giving gold, they are acknowledging his kingship. By bowing down and worshipping him, they're saying, we want to come under your sovereign reign and rule. Frankincense in the Bible is a symbol of prayer. It's a symbol of communication. They understood that the king had come to communicate with people. They were acknowledging that and they were reciprocating. They were saying, well, we want to communicate with you. Myrrh in the Bible is a symbol of burial, it's a symbol of death. They'd understood that the king had come into the world in order to give his life for us. For us to really 
appreciate and understand the relevance of these symbols. We've got to step back and diagnose the world into which Jesus was born. Do you agree with the following statement? There are problems in the world today. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I can't, I wouldn't believe that anyone would disagree with that. There are problems in the world today, personally, socially, globally. There are problems at every level. Now, there are many people, no doubt many people here, who are doing what they can to alleviate the symptoms. The big question is, what causes the symptoms? You see, if you're only trying to alleviate the symptoms, you're always going to have the symptoms. But if you're going to deal with the root cause, that's going to deal with the symptoms. What is the root cause of everything that's wrong in the world today? The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That is what is at the heart of everything that's wrong in the world today. It is our hearts. If you go back to the original script, the word to describe that heart condition is sin. That's the word for it. It's because we've all got sinful hearts that our relationships are polluted, that they're affected. Our communities are, society is, the world is, because of the human heart. Let me illustrate this for you in a slightly different way. Just imagine you pass out of this life now. This is only an illustration. You woke up in a theatre like this one, but sitting there on your own. In front of you is a huge screen. All of a sudden, the doors open, an angel flies in, comes up to you and says, welcome to the theatre of judgment. Relax. <laughs> Watch the screen. Now, there on the screen, you see your life. Everything you ever did here on Earth, everything you ever said here on earth and everything you ever thought you see it on the screen as you're recovering <laughs> the angel comes back and says relax there's going to be a second showing all the people that were featured in the film of your life are all waiting outside and we're just going to let them into the theater to see the film of your life a second time. How would you feel if your life were judged on that basis? That is exactly how God judges us. In an instant. We're judged by everything we have thought, said, done. I don't know about you, personally, I would not want a private viewing, let alone a public viewing of my life. I honestly do not need convincing <laughs> that I have thought, said, and done things that I shouldn't have. But the other thing that the film reveals to us is this. Not only the sins of commission, the things we've done, it also reveals to us the sins of omission. In other words, the things that we didn't do, that we could have done, but we didn't. The things we didn't say, 
We could have stood up for the voiceless, but didn't want to. We could have been kind. Well, British evangelist J. John is such a powerful speaker, and those are some really amazing thoughts on why Jesus came. And as we close in here at the end of this Advent season, if you're looking for some fun activities to do with your family, it's not too late yet to print off that free downloadable calendar we have for you. It's called Preparing the Way for Jesus. It's got activities that you and the kids can do these last few days of the Advent season. The link is at our website, focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas stories. Well, let's go ahead and continue hearing more from J. John. Christmas is a season for us to think, is there something I can do to live simply so that others can simply live. You see, we're not only judged by the sins of commission, we're also judged by the sins of omission. But the thing is this, everything on that film has consequences. Now, a lot of people don't believe that. There are people who think, well, you can do what you want and it doesn't matter. It does matter. All that stuff on the film has the effect of disconnecting us from God. And that's why some people say, where is God? But God didn't leave us, we left God. God didn't separate himself from us, we separated ourselves from God. God never rejected us, we rejected God. And the thing is, all that stuff on the film works a bit like an overdraft in a bank account. If you've got an overdraft and I have an overdraft, you can't help me and I can't help you. The only one who can help us is someone in credit. Jesus Christ was the only one in credit. And that is why Jesus came into this world to do something about your overdraft and my overdraft. If our greatest need was information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was money, then God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. That's why God sent us a savior. Jesus Christ came into this world in order to rescue us from this dilemma that we're all in. Being disconnected from God, having an overdraft. You see, the wise men understood this. Myrrh, you have come to die. That's why you've come. See, one of of the things about the Christmas season is that we can get so preoccupied with the baby Jesus that we miss it. We miss the point. Yes, the invisible God did make himself visible in Jesus. Yes, God did become a man. But, But sometimes we leave him as a baby. To really understand the significance of his birth, you've got to move on and look at his life, and you've got to move from the cradle 
to the cross. On the cross, in the words of the original script, Jesus Christ purchased for us forgiveness. It was as if he was cashing a check signed with his own blood, saying, here is the check to clear your overdraft. You see, that is why becoming a Christian is so cathartic, therapeutic, liberating, illuminating, because it totally liberates us from the past. Forgiveness from the past. He wants to come into our lives by his Holy Spirit and give us new life today. And he wants to give us a hope for the future. This is the gift of Christmas. The gift of Christmas is Christ. He is the gift. Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss it. Is it possible to miss it? It is possible. Many people miss the first Christmas. Did you know that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, miss Christmas? That astonishes me. How could they miss it? In the Old Testament of the Bible, there are what are called messianic prophecies. There are, in fact, 322 of them. These tell you about the Messiah, the King, the Saviour coming to earth. They tell you how he's going to be born, where he's going to be born, how he's going to grow up, what he's going to say, how he's going to say it, what he's going to do, how he's going to die. You've even got details like the number of coins that would be used to betray him. Do you know what the mathematical compound probability is of 322 prophecies being fulfilled in one man at one moment in time is? One over 84 with 100 zeros. In other words, it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> this is a rare occurrence. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, not only knew the Old Testament, listen to this, they not only knew it, they not only knew the 322 messianic prophecies, they had memorized them. And yet they couldn't be bothered to walk five miles. That's all they had to do, walk five miles, check it out. I would have walked 50 miles to check it out. Do you know something? You can be very religious and not know the truth. You can even teach religion and not know the truth. And there are many religious people who haven't yet encountered the transforming truth of who Jesus is. The religious leaders miss Christmas. King Herod missed Christmas. The innkeeper missed Christmas. I mean, wouldn't that have been a great signature to get in the guest book? <laughs> Mary, the mother of Jesus, Joseph, Jesus' stepdad. I mean, wow, that would have been a great signature to have, wouldn't it? 
but they were so preoccupied with their business. And many people who are preoccupied miss the most important truth of all. In 1974, I was a student in London. I was an agnostic. I didn't believe in God. I wasn't interested in God. And then I met a Christian called Andy Economides. And he started to talk to me about Jesus. He gave me a Bible. He told me to read the original script. And as I started reading it, there were lots of questions, and we would talk and dialogue. And we started approaching Christmas. He said to me, do you send out Christmas cards? I said, I do, actually. You know, feeling quite proud of myself. You know, I do. And he said, well, make sure they're blank. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you're an agnostic. You don't believe Jesus is, is the Christ. You don't believe he's God. You don't believe all these things, do you? I said, no. He says, well, you don't want to be a hypocrite, so make sure they're all blank. That really irritated me. <laughs> but amidst the irritation, I thought, he's right. He's right. But as I read more, as I talked more, as I dialogued more, I was captivated. I was captivated. This is the most amazing gift we're being offered. And I started to believe. But it took me a while from believing to receiving. It took me a little while. But on the 9th of February, 1975, I received the gift. And when I received the gift, it was the most incredible, transforming, illuminating experience that I've ever had. The light came on. The light came on. Don't miss Christmas. I love the season. I love everything that's part of the season. It's great. But the danger is that we get caught up in the wrappings and the wrapping paper and we miss the gift. The gift of Christmas is Christ. He is the gift. I want to pray one of my favorite Christmas prayers as I conclude. May God grant you the light of Christmas which is faith. The warmth of Christmas, which is love. The radiance of Christmas, which is purity. The righteousness of Christmas, which is justice. The belief of Christmas, which is truth. The all of Christmas, which is Christ. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, may God grant you all these things, not just at Christmas, but also throughout the new year and all the years to come. Amen. I hope you've been inspired this evening. I hope you've enjoyed the evening. And I really pray 
and wish you all a Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. What a gifted communicator uh, British evangelist J. John is. And what a wonderful picture for remembering that Jesus came to offer forgiveness for our sins. Uh, you know, Paul, you were speaking earlier about the illustration, uh, you know, Jesus changed the world, but he changed me. That was the case for J. John. Um, what comes to mind, Paul, for you, and Lisa and Diane, I'll ask you to chime in as well. What, what does the gospel salvation message mean to you at this time of year? Well, it means everything. It... Um... You know, it's a reminder to me that the, the, all the details of my life are in God's hands. And all of the craziness of Christmas that we experience today is nothing like the craziness of the first Christmas. And yet somehow, some way, God took us from that moment till now. And the 33 years of his life, you know, the very worst day became the very best day, ultimately, and it's a reminder to me, whatever I'm going through, whatever challenges I face and I'm fretting and facing, God is aware, he knows, he cares, he understands. Mm -hmm. Well said. Diane? You know, it, uh, it just reminds me that God keeps his promises. And he promised a savior. He promised he would come. He promised that he would be that sacrificial lamb for us. And he promised he would raise from the dead and that he would come back and bring us home. And the whole message just pulls together that God keeps his promises about who we are and how much he loves and cares for yeah. us. And Lisa? Yeah, for me, it's Romans 8.1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that means that my mess has been cleaned up. Christ's righteousness has been put on my record. I have literally been adopted as God's child, and my future with him cannot be taken away from me. So for me, that's like a summation of the gospel, and it like nothing really matters beyond that. Mm, yeah, I think Romans 8 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It has so much to it. Um, I'll, I'll slide off a little bit uh, differently than y'all in terms of what I think of. I think of the weight, you know, the, the weight that the nation of Israel had for Messiah to come. You know, Lisa, you referenced it earlier, 400 years. That is a long time. Mm -hmm. And I'll think about the weight Jesus must have experienced while he was walking this earth, knowing I've got 33 years and, and what it was going to be like. And Paul, you mentioned the resurrection. I think about the weight between the time he was laid in the grave and the time he came out of the grave and, uh, and showed himself as the risen Lord. There are a lot of seasons in life where I don't want to wait. <laughs> I just don't. Mm -hmm. But God has some circumstances in our lives where we're, we're having to wait. And um, this message and what you all have shared has encouraged me and what uh, J. John uh, had to say, that encourages me that I can wait. Mm -hmm. God's got it. He keeps and his promises. He does, mm -hmm. yes. And so I don't know where you're at. Maybe you know God, and it's just a matter of, like me, waiting for him to do some things. Or maybe maybe this God talk is kind of different for you. You really are intrigued. Uh, I hope wherever you are, you'll get in touch with us and uh, give us a call. We'll have the details in the show notes. Um, and we do want to offer a free ebook. It's called Coming Home, An Invitation to Join God's Family. Um, you can download that from our website or get in touch and we'll send you a copy. It's focusonthefamily.com slash Christmas stories. 
I mentioned earlier uh, that this year's Advent calendar, Preparing the Way for Jesus, still has some activities you can do in these final days of the Christmas season. So uh, hop on the website and download that, print it out, and start using that with your family. Uh, once again, that's at focusonthefamily.com slash Stories. Well, we're so glad you joined us for this season of Christmas Stories. And please know we're here for you to help with whatever your need is throughout the year. Uh, get in touch, as I said. For now, on behalf of Diane, Lisa, Paul, and the entire team, I'm John Fuller, wishing you a safe and wonderful Merry Christmas. Oh,